അയ്യോ ഇറ്റ്സ് മലിക അഗൈൻ ബംബിങ് ഇൻറ്റു വെരി ഓഫ് ആണോ യെസ് യെസ് ഹായ് ഹായ് ബേട്ടാ ഹൗ ആർ യു ഹായ് അങ്കിൾ ഹായ് ആന്റി ഓൺ ദ വേ ടു റെക്കോർഡ് യുവർ പോഡ്കാസ്റ്റ് ഐ സെറ്റ് എ കറക്റ്റ് നോ ഓ വാട്ട് വാട്ട് പോഡ്കാസ്റ്റ് അഗൈൻ യു ആർ ഫോർഗെറ്റിംഗ് റിമെമ്പർ ഷീ ടെല്ലിംഗ് അസ് അബൌട്ട് ഹെർ ഫാഷൻ ബ്രാൻഡ് കൺസിൽ പ്ലാൻസ് യു നോ ഷീ ഇസ് മേക്കിംഗ് ക്ലോത്സ് ആറ്റ് ഓഫ് ഗാർബേജ് സോറി ഇൻഡസ്ട്രിയൽ വേസ്റ്റ് Anyway, now she is talking to some diverse and creative people about their own council plans in life. Hmm. Wow, uh, that's quite right actually, Aunty. You know, Uncle, many of us have unexpected twists and turns in our lives. And through my show, I want to look at these plans we make and the plans that we break and how we persevere through it all. Ah, correct. Well done. Ah, quite interesting, I say. So, uh, who are you talking to on the podcast today? Today on the Cancel Plans podcast, I chat with meditation trainer, writer and content creator Mamta Venkat. She tells me about struggling with her decision to drop pre-med, how the combination of meditation and mental health work became an integral part of her life and how she learned to show up for herself. Okay. Hello. Is this uh, is this working? Okay, good, good. Mamta Mole practically everyone in your family is a doctor you also went to college to become doctor what happened you could have been mending money i know girls nowadays you know get worried about your careers but now you are doing all this mental health things i mean shouldn't talk all these things in public no in my day we nicely quietly we coped with it what will people say i can appreciate why you feel really uncomfortable with me talking about my mental health so much I can also understand why you think I may have ruined my life because I decided not to be a doctor. I feel sorry that you didn't have the terminology or understanding of mental health issues growing up because I know it's not something that your generation talked about and I feel sad that maybe that's not tools or techniques or language that you had that could have helped you and I know that is probably why you're having a hard time understanding why I talk about it so much. but this is what needs to be talked about so that way the stress and trauma that you've triggered by asking that question to me doesn't get passed on to the next generation or to my daughter or to any other child who is of indian american or indian origin or any race or culture religion orientation whatever that is and they don't have to suffer the consequences of having to keep everything in as for me not being a doctor i think I'm doing pretty fine on my own. It's my life and you don't get to have a say in it. So, deuces. Wow, that was incredibly calm and full of understanding. I guess I should try this meditation thing. Well, let me speak to Mamta a little bit and get some more inspiration. My first question is you were on this kind of one way path to becoming a doctor your family is filled with medical professionals and you decided early on in life that you were going to become just like them but that didn't happen it was a cancelled plan so tell us a little bit about that big cancel plan in your life first of all Thanks for having me. This is going to be really really fun cuz I always like talking to you. So, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You did your research. I haven't even thought <laughs> about that talk. I get really nervous about it. I think when you put it that way, yeah, that's been my biggest canceled plan in my life. 
because for so long, that was like you said, the one way trajectory that I was on, everyone thought I was going to be a doctor. I thought I was going to be a doctor, even though I didn't want to be one. And it didn't happen until maybe halfway through college where I can be fully transparent. I wasn't doing well in my pre-med classes. I didn't like chemistry. I struggled with biology. Science and math just weren't my thing. And it's not because I didn't have the interest or the intelligence to do well in them. I think between a combination of my own mental health issues at the time, plus just not being naturally good at those subjects, it was a combination for disaster. And I wasn't the one who put my foot down and said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I knew it. I'd been pushing against it for a while, but I'm so grateful for my mom because finally she saw me struggling and she saw that it wasn't what I wanted to do. And she was the one who said, okay, maybe we should try something different. And it was a big canceled plan because there were a lot of people who were disappointed, including myself, because that had been my vision of who I thought I was supposed to be for a long time. That vision had been molded by so many other people that that was all I knew as my identity. And when my mom and I collectively made the decision, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. Let's try a different path, something that's more in alignment with me and my passions. It took a while. Sometimes I still struggle with it because that was a large piece of who I was. And because that was such a part of my identity, it derailed everything. Yeah, that couldn't have been easy. How did you kind of navigate that decision? And I know the toughest sometimes I've found is the decision that you have to make with yourself. I think it's almost easier to convince the world once you're convinced, but convincing yourself takes a lot of time. And you did say that you were struggling with mental health back then. So what was going on in your head? I think I was glad for someone to give me the out because for so long, I think as an Indian child raised in the States with immigrant parents, there is a part of you that is built to do what is hoped for of you. And that is not at all a knock against immigrant parents at all. Coming to the States with all of these dreams and wanting to build this incredible life for your family, that's a lot of pressure on them and on the kids as well. And navigating that, I think we're finally getting to a place where society has language for it. But back then, because I was always so compliant, because I was always so, I'm going to do what my parents say, that's going to be my identity. I think even the idea of stepping out of that shell felt terrifying because it had been an unsafe comfort zone for so long. And I had been struggling with my mental health for a really long time. And I think I've dealt with anxiety for most of my life. And a lot of that anxiety, I now know in retrospect, has everything to do with the people-pleasing mentality that I have, whether that was because of things that had happened as a child or because of my own inherent nature. If I don't do what I think other people want me to do, then I can feel myself internally collapsing. And that causes my blood pressure and anxiety levels to go through the roof. So it was hard. It was very, very hard for me for a long time because I also didn't know a world outside of medicine. And even though I stepped into a degree that I really, really loved because my world had been so health focused for so long, I didn't know which direction to go. And I also didn't know who I was. So I think it was jarring on multiple levels. Thank you so much for sharing that so honestly and with so much vulnerability. I think it is taken for granted how easy 
that comes out uh, and it's a hard thing to say and it's a hard thing to say when people are listening so thank you for that so after saying okay not medicine and you still kind of stayed in the health space you did public health and then you also have clearly done a lot of work on your mental health and a lot of inner work because it shows in the kind of self awareness you have when you speak so what has been your journey from that to also making mental health a priority taking care of yourself and eventually i want to hear a little bit more also about how meditation came into your life I think I started to really consider the impact my mental health was having when I moved to New York in 2015. And I didn't have words for those intense panic attacks that I would have at work. So I w- I had started a new job. I was in a really hard relationship, and all of those things were impacting my mental health and it was reflecting at work. and i remember just going on these big emotional rants to my friends about all the feelings that i was having and i think in my mind i now know and i i really didn't understand this until recently i think the reason that i externally vented so much or kept talking to my corner of trust so much about all these things is because i thought if i just spit this out to someone if i talk it through with anybody then that's going to heal me they're going to give me a solution or this person or that person or another person or this relationship no matter how toxic it is those are the things that are going to heal me and i didn't realize then what i know now which is that even if someone else does the damage that power was always mine to be given with that light always belonged to me and even though it seems unfair that someone else or other circumstances have caused my damage there's something so empowering in recognizing that if that inner light always belonged to me then it becomes my responsibility to take back and strengthen so that it shines inwardly first before i could shine it anywhere else and it's actually taken me until this year until marriage for me to realize that because for so long i just wanted someone else to fix the pain and fix the problem and when i was finally on my own in new york and i stepped out certain unhealthy situations and really started to see for myself what it was that i needed to work on i could take baby steps toward making those changes in myself and also having grace and forgiveness for myself because mental health is just as important as any other health issue and i often talk to my husband about this of when someone breaks an arm or they hit their head or they you know cut themselves it is societally acceptable for them to talk about it over and over and over again but if you're saying i feel anxious or if you express a period of time where you had depression or you're dealing with depression or you use the words um anxious attachment or trauma bond or dissociation everybody suddenly cringes they can listen for maybe a few minutes but suddenly it feels like too much and after getting myself out of some really unhealthy spaces i knew that i had this tool of meditation that i had been taking for granted meditation has been a part of my life even well before i was born my grandfather has been a part of the heartfulness practice which is such a core part of my life he was part of it for several several decades my dad meditates my mom started once they got married so i was born and raised in the system of heartfulness and i always knew that it was going to be a cornerstone in my life 
And I was made a trainer in 2015, but I didn't use it the way that I should have. But once things started to fall apart for me, I hit my proverbial rock bottom. I really knew that if I'm going to take care of myself, I have to practice what I'm preaching. And I need to be able to apply my meditation practice to myself before I can try to teach it to others. And that was where the combination of recognizing how important mental health is and taking care of it is in combination with meditation became so, so critical to me. And I'd started my Instagram page with that foundation. I knew it would be uncomfortable because I've had so many different people say to me, you're talking too much about your anxiety. You're talking too much about your mental health. I was afraid of losing friends when I started my page because I was being so vulnerable and honest, not just about how meditation has changed my life, but also about my struggles with my mental health. And I've had aunties call me saying things like, you need to stop talking about your mental health too much. It's getting to be too much. And those things affected me so much that I thought I was just going to stop talking about it. But if you stop talking about something that needs to be talked about, then there's nobody, there aren't enough people. That's one less person to advocate for someone else who needs to hear it. And that's what drives me to keep talking about it. And I sound annoying and sometimes I sound like I'm on my soapbox. But if I don't do it, then that's one less person that's advocating for something that needs to be advocated for more. That's awesome. Thanks for that. And how many people have you trained so far? Oh, God. In meditation. Yeah. Do I have a ballpark? I know that I've introduced well over maybe three, four hundred people to meditation. And I hope that everyone who has interacted with the heartfulness practice feels the benefit of it because it's very special. And the way that it's helped me with my mental health, with reducing anxiety, with feeling more content with myself, those things are invaluable. Awesome. So you were in the U.S., then you came to India right before the pandemic hit. You were here in Hyderabad at the Heartfulness Center. And then you had to go right back to the U.S. because it was, in a sense, your India trip was a little bit of a canceled plan. Yes. So I want to hear a little bit about that period of time when you came to India and how long you intended to spend here and how that kind of became a canceled plan quickly. I think at that time, I can honestly say that I had come to India as an escape. I still hadn't learned my lessons from the first job that I had in New York, and I jumped to the next job, and I still wasn't really stable in myself. And that job was horrible for a number of reasons. I had a really tough manager. I was in a really tough situation where I didn't know much about the space that I was in, and I didn't feel like I was supported by her. And simultaneously, I can now say with enough self-reflection that I was not mature enough to handle the weight of that job. If I had the emotional maturity that I have now, I think I would have been more grounded in myself and I would have learned how to create a positive environment for me internally with my own support system. Can you tell me a little bit about the job? Oh my gosh. It was this experience where I was asked to do events management, which I love, but it was in an organization that for me, at least, this is my experience, and I'm not sure if any other person who's worked there has had this experience. It was a very toxic environment, and it was so go, go, go without any forgiveness to the staff or without any emotional support for the staff that I think a lot of people burned out really, really easily. And combining that with having a manager who probably had her own anxieties and really wanted to do her best, 
but didn't know how to not project that anxiety onto our team. I can only imagine the position that she was in as well. So it was challenging, but I know now that I could have done so many other things to manage myself better. And when I quit, instead of trying to find the next thing or to, you know, encouraging myself to follow what I was passionate about, I was like, I'm just going to go to India and I'm going to hide and I'm going to figure things out there. And it did help in a lot of ways. I think being here, being connected back with my roots, in spite of growing up in the U.S., India has always felt more like home. Being here during those couple of months felt very rejuvenating for me because it forced me to face myself. I had nowhere else to go. And when that happens, you have to look at yourself. And then for that plan to be changed because of the pandemic, I thought I was going to stay for six months. And then the pandemic hit. And I think all of us were forced into a bubble where we had all of these plans for 2020. We had all these plans for the rest of our lives. I was going to move back to New York and I was going to hit a reset button. And I was like, yep, I'm going to do this again. I have more maturity now. I've got this. But the pandemic collapsed everything. And I moved back home. I moved back into my childhood bedroom. And that came with a lot of forced reconciliations as well, which I'm sure you can probably relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're going to be moving to London. So yeah. that's exciting. That's the US, India, London in the span of these last few years. Yeah. What are you excited about? What are some of the plans that you're making for your next move? Ah, that's a good question. I am looking forward to a couple of things. One, I'm looking forward, of course, to being able to start this next phase in our lives with my husband. It's very exciting for both of us to be able to use this opportunity to grow not only individually, but also as a team and as a partnership. And I can't wait to do that with him. But I'm also looking forward to utilizing this transition as a reset button for myself. I think many people can relate to that feeling of turning 30 and looking back on your 20s and going, these are all the things I did wrong, as opposed to these are the things that I learned and these are the things that went well. And as I try to reconcile with that in my head, I think this opportunity to go somewhere new is a great way for me to take all of the lessons that I learned in my 20s or throughout my life and see myself now after six months of being in India, after six months of marriage as a new person, a little bit stronger, a little bit more resilient, still vulnerable, but someone who has a little bit more maturity and to be able to apply that to this new phase in life. I recognize the privilege of all of this, you know, of being able to be in a position where I could potentially be a doctor and having the financial and emotional support for my parents for that, or being able to just drop everything and go to India. I recognize the privileges of all of these things. And also there's a world that exists that in spite of that privilege, it's okay to struggle. And it's okay to still be trying to figure yourself out, especially if what's going on up here in your head isn't aligning with what you feel like you need to be. Yeah. So I'm going to come back to meditation again. And meditation is also one of the reasons that your now husband is your now husband. That's a practice that got the two of you together. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> Vishwas was a cancelled plan. <laughs> he, he was a canceled plan that became uncanceled because I had met him a couple of years ago and I liked him 
but I don't think I was fully ready for him. Between everything that was going on in my world, in my life, and where I was at mentally, I just, I wasn't ready for that space. And it has been the most unexpected surprise after a couple of years of avoiding him <laughs> come back into my life in this capacity. And I think what it has taught me without saying too much, because he's a really private person, but I hope that anybody who's listening to this does two things. One, what my husband encourages me to do more than nearly anybody else in my life is to be able to put myself first. And oftentimes most people unintentionally or intentionally are run by their own agenda. So they may not unconditionally support you in that way. And I feel so, so grateful to him because in that encouragement of being myself and him showing up for me and loving me as my whole self, what he has unintentionally done is pushed me to feel safety in myself and to do the work on myself. And so the two things that I would say to anybody is, number one, when people tell you to be with yourself, date yourself, figure yourself out, those things are important. And a world can exist where you also find a partner or friends or a work environment or a lifestyle that is conducive to specifically that. You don't have to stay in unhealthy spaces that don't make you feel safe in yourself. You deserve to feel like you can do anything and you deserve to know that every single person around you is going to support you in that a million percent. Those are also the people who are going to tell it to you straight and encourage you to tell it to yourself straight as well. And I didn't think something like that could even exist. And I feel so grateful for him now because that's exactly what he's given me. And in that, it's not like that corny thing about someone completing you. If anything, his love helps me to complete myself. So it is the best uncanceled, canceled plan that ever could have happened. I love that. That was so cute. I hope, <laughs> Vishwas, when you hear this, I hope you know. <laughs> you got a good one there. <laughs> you better know that. <laughs> So what advice do you have for someone who is really struggling with their mental health, with anxiety, with being overwhelmed with the world? And they are also going through some kind of cancel plan situation. And, you know, the case for the most part is when you go through a cancel plan, it's not always like, oh, yay, my plan got canceled. Let me do something else. It's usually... A hard, hard period of time where there's you need to accept it, you need to adapt, and you need to deal with the disappointment that things didn't go your way. Yes. So what advice do you have for someone like that who's on the precipice of some kind of dramatic change that might shatter their world and they're feeling a lot of anxiety around that? Something that drives me nuts is when you go to a friend or a loved one or anybody and you express exactly what you just expressed to me. And they say something like, oh, it'll all work out or it'll just be fine or everything's meant to happen for a reason. Those things might be true. They might be true, but it doesn't stop the stress or the frustration or the loneliness in the moment. And so while everyone's experience with these breakdowns or these rock bottoms are very, very different, I think what I would say is what I've learned from my experiences, 
those feelings are valid. It is terrifying and it is lonely. And there are very, very few people who could really understand exactly what you're going through. But that's the thing. If there's one person in the world who is always going to understand what you're going through, it's you. And the best lesson I've learned in this last year is that you have to show up for yourself. You are your own friend the same way that your best friend is your best friend or your, your husband is your best friend or the same way that you would show up for anyone else in your life. You've got to show up for yourself too. And there's a balance that I've had to learn the hard way because for so long, like I said earlier, I would spew out my problems because I wanted someone else to fix it or I thought something else could fix it outside of me. I really have had to learn that that's not the case. I have to fix it. But the beauty in fixing it yourself is that you're returning back to your own light that has always been there. You just have to remind yourself of that. And that means pushing away all the toxicity of other people saying crap to you or other circumstances making you feel small and low. Help for everybody looks different. I did therapy for a long time and that really made a difference for me. That might not be for everyone. Journaling, going for walks, meditation, those are also things that have helped me, but it might not be for everybody. And so I would encourage people to find the things that make them feel like themselves, whether it's reading books, picking up a hobby, meditation, journaling, going to therapy, talking to someone professionally to work out what's going on with them. Try those things, do those things, but be willing to do the work. Be willing to set promises for yourself and keep them because the only person who's going to suffer from not keeping a promise to yourself is yourself. And I know there are many, many days that are very, very hard and it can be hard sometimes to get out of bed or to even function. And all of those things are valid too. And so on those days, if you can keep at least one small promise to yourself, whether it's like making a cup of tea for yourself or writing in a journal or going for a walk, do those things. Just try to find a way every day to stay connected to yourself. I think that's great advice. Thank you. I think that's definitely going to help a lot of people just in terms of understanding what the options are, what are the little things that they can do to get started. But the work that you do in mental health and meditation is something that you do out of your own enthusiasm. It's not your day job. So tell us a little bit about your day job. Yeah. And how you kind of balance both. I have come a long way to here. But right now I do communications, public relations and social media work. And I like to use those concepts in the health space, which is just a really fun full circle. I've always been a writer. I've always liked to tell stories. And I had always wanted to do something in this field. And it worked out in the last few years where I'm an editor for Heartfulness Magazine, which is a wellness magazine. I just finished a gig working with a health tech company in the U.S. doing communications and PR work. And it's a lot of fun. But what I've realized is that my day job is so fun and it brings me a lot of passion. But the most important thing to me, at least, is my meditation practice. And so everything in my world revolves around my meditation practice. Because if I don't meditate every day, if I don't take time to connect with myself through meditation every day, if I don't do those techniques that help me to ease the anxiety of my thoughts, then I'm not going to be a full functioning human being at work or with my husband or with my family. I'm not going to be able to show up for myself. So I balance those two things by knowing that my priority is making sure I'm grounded here first and then everything else will fall into place. Awesome. 
yeah, I think this is a great conversation. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. Anytime, anything for you, I would do. <laughs> I have this recorded now. See how I can yeah. use it against you. Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> It's always so lovely speaking to you, Mamta. I've taken away so much from our conversation, especially about how meditation practice and mental health take the front seat in your life. Check out the episode description to see where you can follow Mamta and her work. Oh, and don't forget to check out Cancel Plans at www.cancelplans.com. Follow us on Instagram at cancelplans.club and come say hi to me on my personal Instagram, which is at malikareddyg. See you next week. Yo, tell them to follow me also. Even I have opened one Instagram account. Oh, really, auntie? Sure, of course. What's your Instagram handle? Handle? What's handle? I don't have any handle in all of that. What is this? (laughs) Okay, no problem. You can tell them next time, okay? Okay.